Wow. Wow, guys. I am Marissa. And I'm Liza. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Merry Christmas to you. Guys, it's it's a special day because it's like our Christmas episode. Christmas episode. Also, perhaps, guys, perhaps this is the last time you'll hear from us for the season. The last time you'll hear from us in in this year. Who knows? We don't know. See you next I year. I don't know. Or not. <laughs> Penelope probably knows, but she's not going to say. She's not going to say. She knows all. She truly does. She stores it in her little head. And doesn't tell anybody, but she knows. Doesn't tell anybody. She knows. Whatever mission she's here to do. I literally believe with my whole chest that P was sent here on an intergalactic mission. And at some point she either decided that she was going to give up on it and is in hiding and doesn't want to be found by her alien um, like government. Or she forgot what it was and is now just chilling here and was like, guess I'll just stay. It could truly be either. Sounds plausible. Oh, there she is. Look Liza in the eyes and tell her the truth. Tell me the truth, P. Where are you from? Why is she looking right into the camera? She is. I'm obsessed. P. But but since it's our Christmas episode and the last episode of season one of the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast... We wanted to do something extra fun this week. Marissa, what did we do? So um, we did a little like Christmas gift exchange thing, but the gifts were um, two of our favorite books. And the exchange was that we read each other's favorite um, so we're going to call this the Christmas Switch episode. Happy Christmas Switch, everybody. The Christmas Switch, starring Vanessa Hudgens and Vanessa Hudgens. Marissa's favorite book is Horns by Joe Hill. So I got to read Horns by Joe Hill this week. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. Liza gifted me her favorite book which is Red Clocks by Lenny Zumas. We had so much fun, I think. This was this was a good I mean, I think we've had a pretty good book months, September, yeah. October, November, December. 4 months, a good book 4 months, but yeah. like this last week I was like, wow, like we both know that we are reading good books. Yeah. That feels it feels right. Right. Yeah. I kind of want to hear you talk about horns and why you love horns. You guys can't see this. I'm holding it in my hands. I love this book. It was gifted to me by my book uncle. 
the one who's always buying me books. That's why I called him my book uncle. Um, he's also the one who recommended The Gunslinger to me. He He's bought me probably 90% of my favorite books. He knows what he's talking about. So he gifted this book to me and I was like, hmm, looks spooky. I think I was maybe 16. I was like, I guess I'll read this book. Just kidding. I was excited. I read it and I was immediately like super strange, super weird, but I'm here for whatever Mr. Joe Hill is going to throw at me. And I did in fact love it. Let's talk about what it's about. The main character's girlfriend has died and he was accused of the murder, but there has been no clear evidence to get him but he's still accused and people still think that he did it. And one morning he wakes up to have horns growing on his head. And so of course he's like, shoot, I'm gonna go to the doctors. Like something's up. And it just turns out that people are now telling him their secrets. And I guess you would say confessing their sins to him. So yeah, I think I'll leave it there, but I will say this book has everything you want in it there's which like again I'm not a huge romance person but I think that this book does romance tastefully um there's horror there's mystery a little bit of a like detective work there's definitely fantasy in here action it's it's got everything that I think you would want from a book and so this book is one of my favorite books of all time and I've been waiting for someone to read it since I've read it so that I can like literally cry about it with them and Liza came and said yeah that's me I'll read it horns is one of the books that I read And I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want my writing to make people feel like. I say this over and over and over again, but I love horror because there can be horror that's not outright scary, but just devastating. And I would say this is one of the books where I'm like, this book is devastating. And that is why it's horror. And I love that so much. So yeah, that's all I'll say about that. I like that you said that because like when right before we started the recording, like I was looking up and it said something about how like it was dark fantasy. And I was like, what the fuck? This is not dark fantasy. It's horror. But then I was sitting there thinking about it and I was like, is it horror? Because I just read this whole book and I was like, oh, love it. This is horror. This is horrific. But Marissa's right. Like it's not it's not jump scare horror at all. It's not even monster horror, even though Ig has horns coming out of his head. It is like a devastating horror. And I will get into that more too when I get into my rating scale. But it also, I mean, like dark, I feel like fantasies kind of feels like a bad word sometimes, even though I know some people really like fantasy, just because like, Sometimes when I read fantasy, I'm like, no offense to those that love fantasy, but it's just how I feel. But I do really like low fantasy or rather even taking a step 
further away from fantasy and just call it magical realism. And I feel like this is like magical realism. The only really weird thing going on is the horns and the fact that they make you say, confess your sins and forget about it afterwards. I also want to say that I love that setup. I didn't know that. Like I, I knew that the main character grew horns, but I didn't know that the power the horns had over the other people. And so I really liked that. And the other thing I really liked was that people would like ask him if that was okay. They were like, oh yeah, so should I do that? And that was just so weird. Like the way that Joel like reimagined, I guess the devil in that way of like confessing your sins, your deepest secret, and then saying what you want to do and asking like the devil air quotes if that's okay to do I was like whoa that's so cool I just think this whole concept was so clever and I also think he really cleverly put together lots of different kinds of stories like lots of different kinds of horror almost because you have Ig and his horns and this whole magic and devil situation but you also have a true crime type thing and really scary bad people I don't know it could have easily been one or the other kind of book and it probably still would have been good but I think it was really smart to mix those two all of the different things he mixes together in this book so yeah I also think like I love that Marissa that you read this and you were like this is the kind of book I want to write because it does remind me of your type of horror and of your writing and it is truly one of those books that like if you're a writer especially I feel like if you're like if you know Marissa or I or some of our other friends who are like specifically in like our thesis class it's the kind of book you would read and it would remind you why you want to be a writer too even if you don't write this kind of book like Joe Hill writes. I don't know, like I was reading it and I'll get into this when I talk about language. And I was like, holy shit, I love everything that's going on here. And I do write horror too. So like, I definitely relate to Marissa on that one. I just meant like, even if you don't write horror and you are a writer, I feel like you might read this book and be like, yeah, this is fucking dope as hell. This is why we write things. And I feel that way about Red Clocks too. So we'll get into that later, but I'll do my rating scale of horns. For readability, I gave this book an eight. I started reading this book while in line buying it. And right off the bat, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I was like, um, yes. Because uh, like I said, like I really didn't know anything about this book going into it other than I knew it was Marissa's favorite book. I knew it was about a guy that grows horns and I vaguely remember the movie coming out. I didn't see the movie. Marissa and I have talked about this and how the movie's not good. I'm probably going to watch it like after this. So I kind of had this like vague image of when the, of what the movie looked like from seeing the trailers, like however many years ago that was, but otherwise I knew nothing going into it. And that first chapter is just one tiny little paragraph And I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. And then I kept reading it while I was in line. So I don't know. It's definitely the kind of book that 
you keep reading, I'll say it definitely picks up the more you get into it. Like, it's not the kind of book that's, I mean, it is the kind of book that's like, boom, here you go, because he gets the horns very early on. But like, it was a book that I started to like more and more the more I read, um, which I think is cool, because sometimes books have the opposite effect, where it's like, you love what you're reading and then you get halfway through and you're like, what the hell happened? Like it's slowing down. Joe Hill doesn't do that. I feel like it gets better and better and it is separated into like acts almost. Like I almost want to call them acts instead of parts because it does feel like the acts of a, like a movie or a play somewhat in the way that they're split up. And so I don't know. I think that was a cool way to read the book and they all, push the plot along but they all feel kind of separate from each other in really interesting ways too and so maybe I'll get into that a little bit more when I talk about form but that was just like a way like I don't think there's a right or wrong way to read this book I definitely think it's one of those things that you could even though it's like 368 pages you are probably going to want to blow through it just because it's like good but it's also because he split it into those acts. Like it is the kind of thing that like, I feel like you can sit with it after you finish an act and think about what what's going on, which I don't know. I always appreciate that. And I, I appreciated time to breathe with this book too. So that's how I felt about that. For language and style, I gave this book an 8.5. It may be even close to a nine. I love joe hill's writing style oh my god first of all i'll just do this get out of this way first and i'll talk about this more with characterization i think but the dialogue was so good and so natural and i was like yo fucking ladies take notes like i was like i really really liked the style of dialogue first of all i'll say this the writing was not gatekeepy at all, which I always super appreciate. You guys know Murakami is one of my favorite writers, and it's because it's literally like very plain language. And I don't know, I just like the kind of book that like any person could like pick, not necessarily any person could pick up and understand the plot, but pick up and understand the language. But that doesn't mean simple language doesn't mean that the language isn't doing something that's literally stunning as well and so that's something I liked about Joe Hill too but the moments that really got me were his details he includes sometimes the most bizarre details but oh my god are they vivid I feel like you can hear see smell taste everything that's going on in this book and like so also this book we were trying to I was asking Marissa I think it takes place in New Hampshire it might take place in Maine I honestly can't remember where they say so but they go to Boston sometimes and he they mentioned driving through New Hampshire but they mentioned Maine at another point anyway spooky New England vibes I'm from New England so right off the bat I'm like thank god for that um but it's like a lot of the book too takes place in um summer and oh my god the way he describes the scene and like there's this one part where like I'm trying to remember what's happening he describes the locusts a lot which I also thought was really interesting because locusts are a play one of the plagues 
from the Old Testament. And this is obviously has some sort of religious iconography in it, like obviously with the devil and Marin's um, cross necklace and, you know, all that. But so I thought that was interesting. But there's this one point where he's like describing how the locust sounds and then he brings it back later and Ig can hear the locust, but he realizes it's nighttime. And so you can't actually hear the locust. He's kind of, it's just like this, like ringing in his head. That's kind of like hard to describe. But like when I got to that moment, I was like, yo, what the hell? He also does that a lot. He also like will bring stuff up at the beginning or like early in the book and then he'll bring it up again. I feel like he was very good about too that like rule. We I can't think of anything specific off the top of my head, but you know that rule we learned Marissa in writing school that like, if you're gonna bring something up more than once, you ought to mention it like three times because then it will stick. And I and I, the person that does that, that I've read, you know, more recently that reminded me of that was like, um. In Beloved, Toni Morrison does that, like, oh my God, some of the symbolism, like, she'll hit you with it once, and then you'll get it again, like, halfway through the book, and be like, yep, and then you'll get it again towards the end, and be like, whoa, and there were some moments where Joe Hill did that, too, but yeah, it was really his descriptions, even though his dialogue, I thought, was some of the best dialogue I've read, perhaps, but it was the descriptions that I was like, this is insane, especially of, of nature, like the, the the way he was describing the foundry to oh my god and the way he describes horror is really is really bizarre and beautiful too like I really don't want to spoil anything because I was also saying to Marissa before we started recording that this book has some good plot twists in it I had no clue what who I thought did what I I thought I knew what I knew and I did know that but then other things I didn't know. And so I don't want to spoil anything, but there is this one part where like a fire is lit and like that kind of moment of horror, the way he's describing it. Oh, there's also a lot of snakes and the descriptions of the snakes are really cool. Um, The descriptions of the horns themselves and that they like kind of radiate this heat and this like, this they like pulsate almost was really cool before I get into like one more thing that I do want to say I wanted to mention it at some point and it feels like good times now but the other thing I wanted to say is like the speech patterns when people would confess their sins I thought was really great and it kind of reminded me of midnight mass just that almost like feverish like unloading onto somebody I say midnight mass because it kind of reminded me of when Monsignor Pruitt would do his like weird speeches um or something like that there were moments where it reminded me of that so that's just like not all the dialogue was natural that was what was cool about it a lot of the dialogue back and forth between characters was natural but when you had these moments where people were confessing their sins to egg it was like yo this is really weird and unsettling and I love it but the other thing that I did want to mention because I knew I wanted to say it at some point was and it reminded me of when I was talking about this descriptions is I think we always talk about when we talk about men who write horror we're always like can y'all fucking leave like we're done with this and we're also always like the gratuitous sex that men throw into horror is so annoying. But can I just say, I was never annoyed when Joe Hill made sexual references in this book because they all felt 
like they were necessary in that moment. And he did a really good job with all of them, whether it was like a, a nicer moment between two people. But there were also moments, obviously, that were very unsettling and like perverse. And specifically, one character is often saying like really gross, sexual, violent stuff. And it was so nauseating but not in the way that when we were like talking about like okay Stephen King we love you but what the hell are you doing with this scene and it or what have you it was like Joe Hill was doing that and saying and having this character say that stuff and it was like that was doing a lot for characterization and like I said at no point was any of the, like the sex descriptions was I like oh my god ew like I this is why I don't read horror by men same with the way women were described like maybe there was a few moments where it was like a very like male gaze but like not in the way that we've talked about it before where it's just like I can't even want to read this anymore I'm so annoyed I don't know. So I did just want to give him credit for that. It was something that because Marissa and I talk about it so much, and I think a lot of female horror or women or femme, um, non-male horror fans, I'm guessing, are always like, what the heck? Like, you're always thinking about that when you're reading horror by men, especially or watching horror by men, because it's so ingrained in the genre. Um, to have this like gratuitous, um, gratuitously violent over-sexualization. And so I notice it more. And that's why I was like, I do want to give him a little bit of credit with this one because as far as things go, I thought he did a good job with that. Um, so shout out to Mr. Hill. Thanks, King, for that one. I almost omitted form and then I decided not to. And I'll say why. And I did like the form, by the way. So I gave the form a 7.5. I almost omitted it because I was like, there's nothing really that interesting. Like, technically speaking, the pages don't look weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like when we think about form, like Savage Conversations, right? It's set up like a play. I'm trying to think of other books, but like, that's why I was like, oh, you know, what? I'll skip it. But then I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to skip it at all. I like what's happening here. I mentioned the acts. I think this book, it's separated into parts. It's separated into different acts. And I thought that was very intentional. And I thought it worked really well. The other thing, that reason that I decided not to omit form was it does, it's not, the book is not linear. And for a while, I thought it was going to be. And I wasn't mad about that. But I was just very much like, yes, like this is linear. I didn't think we were going to get to see any of Marin at all for a minute there or no real sort of moments with her. But there are actually a lot of flashbacks in this book. And it is like a puzzle piece. Marissa was like, there's detective work happening. There's detective work happening, like investigating almost in the book, but you're also doing detective work the way he sets it up with looking back at different moments and then jumping forward and then looking back. So I liked that about the form. The other thing that I liked about the form was this book is in third person, but once again, he gets very close to different characters at different times and it works really well. You're usually close to Ig, but there's a whole big chunk where you're, and you, you get, there's not just these two characters, like you get really 
almost suffocatingly close to other people too. But there's this whole big chunk of the book. The third person is incredibly close to another character. When you're with those two characters specifically, I think is why this stands out, is it's almost, even though it's in third person, it's almost like you're inside of their head, which I just think is really cool. Because I think when some writers write third person, they won't allow themselves to do that. They won't allow themselves to get so close that they're almost inside the character's brain. And so I think it was very interesting and worked well that he gave himself sort of the agency or the authority to do that. So yeah, I, I, that's why I decided not to omit form. Like I did only give it a 7.5 because it wasn't like insane. Like it wasn't like, you know, whoa, I've never seen anything like this, but I did think it was um, notable. The other thing was that I was like, what the hell? But I was like, at first I was like, I don't know if I can do this for this many pages, but then I was like, oh wait, no, this is cool. Not giving any spoilers, one of the other powers, I guess, Ig has is like when he touches people, he can kind of see something that has happened before. And there's this one point where he touches somebody and it it's it's a flashback, which we've had before, but it's a different kind of flashback. Like it's literally like a real flashback instead of like a, I don't know, expositional flashback. And for, I don't know, 10 pages, it's in italics. The book is just in italics for 10 pages. And words that are not supposed, words that would be in italics for emphasis are, are non-italicized, if that makes sense. And I was like, this is so weird. And like, if somebody came into workshop, Marissa, and did that, I would be like, change this fucking right now. Like, I'd be like, this is absolutely garbage rat. Like, get rid of this italics. Like, we get it. And so when I first started reading that and I realized it wasn't just going to be one half of a page in italics, I was like, Joe, what's going on? But I kind of liked it in the end. And I was like, this is weird as hell. And I got used to it eventually. And it felt like really dreamy and strange, um, like hazy. And that was, I think, how Ig was seeing the events play out too. Oh, the other thing that Ig can do that's really cool is he can change his voice to sound like other people's voices, which is also funny if it's like when you think about it as like a reference to the devil, because like I feel like that's like, I don't know, that's just a fun thing to pick up on. But yeah, so like that was a weird moment where we just had 10 pages of italics flashback that normally I would be like, no, 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 no. But in that moment, I was like, yeah, like, I'll take it. I'll take this one. So that was that about form. For shelf worthiness, I gave this book an eight. I say add it to the collection. I would definitely read it again. I'm guessing I will someday. And I do feel like if if. I was going to say like there's books you can read again and again and there's books you can only read once. This is not a book you can only read once. Like this is if it was a scale, this is closer to yeah, you can read this just about whenever you want. Um I really liked it. Spoiler alert. At the beginning of season 2, Marissa and I are probably going to end up doing like a our top 10 of 2021 and I'm like I, I basically feel like I know that Horns is going to be on that list. It's just that good. And that's saying something, too, because I'm going to have a really hard time, I think, picking my top 10, especially picking like my top like three. I'm going to be like, what order do I put these things in? 
But that just lets you know about shelf worthiness. Like, and also, I'm pretty bitchy when it comes to writing. I don't think I gave a single book a 10. And I didn't give this book a 10 either. I don't know if there's a 10 book out there. But I'm just saying, like, you should know that I'm not just like, yeah, like, it's good. Like, no, like, I feel like I'm a little bit particular, especially on this one app I have where you can only give things up to five stars. I'm even more picky on that app. And that is where I rank all my books. And that'll probably be where I draw from for our top 10. Um, But yeah, that was just all to say, that's why it's going to be hard to pick like a top three or something like that. Because none of the books that I read this year, I gave like a 10. And I'm like, I don't even know what a 10 looks like. But there's a whole lot of nines and eights. And it's going to be hard to put those nines and eights in order. So that's that on that. (laughs) Um, For plot, I gave this book an eight. Like I said, I think this book is really original and very cool. No Loose Ends is one of our things. And I, I, I feel... I felt satisfied with the book and it was also some, okay. Some, a customer came into work the other day and was like, help me find a book. I just finished this book and I'm so sad. And she told me what book it was. And it was a book that I know is it was the book, um, a little life. And I know that that book is like pretty devastating. And I was like, Oh no. Like, I know that book is sad. And she was like, no, no, no. I'm just like sad. Like it was a sad book, but like, I'm sad that I'm done with it. And I want a book to fill that void. And I was like, cute. Like, I haven't felt that way in a really long time. Like, I haven't felt that way since I was like a teenager. Bro, why do I, why am I feeling that way about Horns by Joe Hill? Like, it's not even like, what? Like, I like, was like, I'm like gonna be sad that I'm done reading this book. And that's why I was like, kind of low key, you could read this book many, many times, even though it's like, obviously horrifying and horrid at times um but it's like oh like oh my god like I am a little bit I'm kind of like have that little empty feeling and so I feel like that's the sign of like a good book and like a satisfaction of a no loose ends would I want a horns too fuck no girl don't touch it leave it exactly how it is um that's I feel like how you know it's good and uh, also We've said it's fresh, 99% fresh Rotten Tomatoes in my book. But it's also, I mentioned this before, whoa, some of those plot twists, I was like, huh? (laughs) Like, I was like, what? I love that. Oh, my God. I love when you're listening to a true crime podcast, too. And you're like, I don't know who did this. You're like, I know it wasn't this person, but I don't know who the hell did this. Um, And that's how I felt about this book. The other thing was that I said this to Marissa, but I feel like some people who listen to our podcast would have overlap with listening to Morbid. In fact, I know some people who listen to our podcast also listen to Morbid. And I was saying that this book, the case in it, reminds me of the case of, I th- what, what do we say her name was? Nona Dirksmeyer. The case of Nona Dirksmeyer, which was a November episode of Morbid. And I thought that episode was very good and really unsettling even though it was like not like a particularly gruesome murder but I was like whoa this is like really unsettling me for some reason but like obviously I was like hanging on to like every word they were saying but also I was like I have no clue who did this murder and then when they said who did it oh by the way if you haven't listened to that case the whole they basically thought the boyfriend did it 
for like years and he went to trial for it and like everybody in town like turned against him basically and that's basically what happens to ig but when i was listening to that podcast episode i was like i freaking know he didn't do it but then at some point i was like did he do it and honestly there was a few moments in horns where i was like wait like why like i trust iggy but like what like why am i kind of doubting him like why do i feel like maybe i'm wrong and then I'm not giving any spoilers, but either way, in the Nona Driscoll case, when they tell you what happened, you're like, holy shit, what? And in Horns, when he tells you what happens, you're like, huh? So that's that about plot twists. I love a good plot. Plot twists are like some of my favorite things in books too. Like I love books with plot. If there's not a plot twist, I almost don't want it. Um, oh. I'm like, I, I just really like this book. Oh, I well, this was more so just to say to Marissa, because maybe if you're listening to this, you haven't read it yet. But the scene, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but the scene where you find out like what happened to Marin, I was like nauseous. I was like sick. Ew, I'm still also just like disgusted by this one character. But I'm also like, remember when I said at the beginning that I was like, you can touch, taste, feel, and smell everything about this book. That's so true. And I'm like sitting here, like having war flashbacks to some of these scenes. And I'm like, ew, like, like, like some stuff is great, right? Like what if you're like the way he describes the forest or something, you're like, oh my God. I can smell it. Or like if there's a scene where it's like raining, you're like, ooh, I could almost smell it. But like, oh, there's like this other section where it's like, again, I don't want to, you can just cut this. But when he's talking about like, so put a little like, um, you did that once, you like bleeped stuff out. Um, but I love horror that makes you have a visceral reaction. If I'm reading something and I don't have a like bot, like a actual physical reaction to it, then I'm gonna be like, why did I even read that? <laughs> like, I wanna be, I wanna say stuff out loud cause I can't control it or laugh out loud cause I can't control it sometimes, but I wanna like gag, I wanna scream. I wanna like get the chills or like, just be like, ooh, that's what I want. And that happens a few times in this book. So shout out to Mr. Hill for that one as well. And that kind of brings me into my last point, which is characterization. For characterization, I give this book an eight. Talk about not wasting a character. I hate throwaway characters with my whole being. I hate when people give you like a random side character that you're like, I don't care. I don't know anything about this person. Even these random ass side characters that Joe Hill has, they're like very, very, very realistic. And of course, to me, the most realistic, like the most well-developed, but not necessarily well-developed as in you like them, just well-developed characters are Lee, Ig, and Marin. actually. I feel like I got a pretty good understanding of her, but like Terry, Glenna, Eric, the parents, these like random three boys that it comes across in the woods, like there's all these characters, like every the fucking guy that owns the convenience store, the priest, 
the nurse. Like they're all like just very vivid and it's almost unsettling how much all these people jump off the page. But obviously unsettling in a good way. Like we like that. But like now that I'm thinking about it, like kind of like icky, but I love it. So I don't know. I just think he's really good at characterization. None of these people remind me of people I know, but I think there was really something to it taking place where it takes place. But maybe he has that power over everybody, you know, like maybe Marissa from Buffalo read this and was like, oh, yeah, like I know I know these people. I, I know these people. I know this place. Cause I was like, yo, like, I don't know any of these people, but like, yes, I do. And like, I know what, what, exactly what this place looks like and I can feel it. Um, so I don't know, maybe if you're from like, not the boondocks, then it's not the same, but I have a feeling that's actually wrong. I have a feeling it's his writing that makes you feel that way and not necessarily it's relatability to where you grew up and the kind of people you grew up around but y'all know me, all of my horror is suburban Gothic. And so I love a suburban Gothic in motion. Um, yeah, and I guess those are my thoughts on Horns by Joe Hill. Lovely, I'm so glad that you liked it. A couple things to say. Yes, I also was like, I trust Iggy with my life. But at the same time, I'm like, there were parts where I was like, ooh, he definitely could have did it. Yeah. And I think what something that Joe Hill does that really helps that is his characters are real. And that's, I'm also going to talk about that in the book that I read in a hot, a hot sec. But um, his characters are very real and like, yeah, Iggy's our main character, but he's like an anti-hero. He's not like, he's not necessarily a great guy. No, not at all. And so you're like, yeah, he could do it. There's there's one part I remember where him and Marin get in an argument and she's like, I love you. And he's like, no, you don't. I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he said it just to hurt her. Mm-hmm. And like little parts like that, I was like, Ooh. yeah, he did it just to hurt her. Like, there's no reason why he couldn't have killed her. Right. Also, you were talking about how he gets us so close to these characters. And I think it kind of goes back to something that I talked about a couple of weeks ago when I read Winterset Hollow, which was one of the parts where I felt I really got to know the characters was when they were talking about their favorite characters from the book within the book. And so similar to that, one reason why it feels like we know all of these characters so well is because they are so often confessing their sins to Ig, which is something so personal. And like they're saying how they truly feel. And so it really puts us right next to them Another thing about Vish book, like their relationship was never like perfect, but also it was like perfect. And I read this book and I was like, I believe in true love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I literally yeah. read it and I was like, wow, like love is real. Ew. <laughs> um, 
but I'm like not usually a book rereader. Yeah. I don't like to reread books, but this is a book that I always want to reread. And there are some people who are like, oh, there's a certain book that I read like literally once every year. Like Liza says she reads Christmas Carol Mm -hmm. every year, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this would be my book that I would read every year. Mm -hmm. I would read it, you know, June when it's starting to get kind of hot out. Yeah, yeah. And like things are kind of gross, but like I'm going into the summertime. I would reread this book and cry myself to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, they hit me with that one. If they ever make a part two to this book, I will boycott it. Yeah, I know. I will personally write Joe Hill a letter and say, what are you doing? I would be so pissed. Another thing I was going to say we talked about kind of like women in horror and whatever. And I think that Glenna is a good character to talk about because they do often talk about her negatively in the book. Yeah. But it didn't, I don't know. I wasn't like offended by it ever. Right. That's, that's what I mean. And I can't put my finger on why that is or what he did different. Cause like even but, when, when male when men talk about boobs, I'm like, you you're not allowed to talk about boobs. And Joe Hill mentions boobs like a few times, but never once was I like, Ugh, like I'm closing the book. I hate this bitch, which right. usually happens to me when a man does anything. There, okay, I don't remember because it's been a long time, but I do think there's also a difference between when like teenage boys talk about boobs in a book. I'm like, okay, whereas when like it's a grown man character, and I'm like. Right. You grown man character. Don't talk about boobs. Don't talk about boobs. Would you say, okay, I know you said that you were satisfied by the end. Would you say it's a happy ending? I would not say this book is a happy book. Girl, no. But but it's still like, but it's we still want to read it. It's satisfying. Like, that's what I mean. Like, it's not like, oh, everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay, you guys. Right. Like, Marin's dead. She can never, she, she can't be alive again. No. No, it's not happy at all. No. But it ends the way it ends, and you are good with that. Marissa and I are always saying, oh my god, we hate books with happy endings. Okay, it's not even that. It's that we like when books end the way that they were supposed to end. There's some books that have bad endings, and you can be like, yo, that blows. Like, that's so dumb. Like, the writer shouldn't have done that. But there's some books that, like, you're like... I know that ending wasn't what you would have wanted, but man, like the book ended and it was the way it was supposed to end. And it was so good, even though I'm so sad or even though I'm so mad or even though I'm so scared. You don't have to tie things up all nice and pretty for it to be a good ending. You have to figure out the the way that your story was supposed to end and leave the reader with a feeling, whether you want that to be satisfied, happy, sad angry or scared like you can leave the reader with any of those or confused I love when I finish a book and I'm confused not that this necessarily happens with this book but I'm just saying like that's another emotion that I'm like hell yeah like bring it on like I have no clue what just happened I'd I'll take that any day over like a weird cookie cutter ending yes also hot take maybe Joe Hill better than Stephen King I said it yeah, what? I'll go with it. 
I'll raise you, Joe Hill, better than Stephen King and Neil Gaiman. Hell yeah. We said what we said. Don't get mad about it. We just are here for a good time, not a long time. Also, if anyone... I mean, okay, if you want to read Full Throttle, great. Do it. Um, It's, you know, short stories, so it's not... It's not like horns level of excellent in my opinion but it's still like a good read but his intro in full throttle is amazing and I think it very much explains kind of why his writing is is so good like not only you know is he the son of two writers because Tabitha um, also is a writer but He's also the son of Tabitha and Stephen King. Like he had, he didn't want to be the son of Tabitha and Stephen King and people to publish his stuff just because of that. So that's why he published it under Joe Hill. What friggin' name is Joe Hill? Um, and he had to work harder because of that. And I appreciate him doing that. Wait, 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 wait. Are you kidding? What? Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King? <laughs> no, you're joking. I thought that was a figure yes. of speech. I thought that was a figure of speech. <laughs> oh, no. He's literally his son. No, are you, are you kidding? Marissa. It doesn't, it's, yeah, he is. I don't know what to say. Yeah, he is. That is insane. Yo, listen. Um, talented freaking family right there. Oh yeah. His writing no. does not remind me of Steven at all. No. There was not a single point where I was like, ooh, Steven, like inspired. Like I was like, no, like I, I was doing my own thing here. <gasps> he kind of looks like Stephen King now that I'm looking at yes. it. It also now everything makes sense that this has big New England energy because Mr. King does have big New England energy. (laughs) And Joe was like, I'll take one thing from my father. Two things. Terrifying the masses and New England. And I'll do it even better. (laughs) Liza was literally like, wait. (laughs) I can't. I can't believe I'm so and that's another thing that I'm glad I didn't know until just now actually because what if I knew that and and what if that made me read it a little different I think I went in knowing that I can't remember exactly but yes wow Joe Hill and Horns guys Um, so moving on, as we said, I read Red Clocks by Lenny Zumis. And Miss Liza, would you like to talk about this book? I would. So I made Marissa read Red Clocks by Lenny Zumis, which is one of my favorite books. I first read it in a feminist fiction class in college, taught by a really incredible teacher. And uh, what can I even say about this book? It's dystopian, right? But it is a dystopia 
that is so uncomfortably close to our current reality that I think it makes it even, it, it makes, it punches you in the gut even more than it would otherwise. And, you know, whenever people are like, oh my God, we're living in the Handmaid's Tale. I'm like, fun analogy, but we're not living in the Handmaid's Tale. We are very close to living in red clocks, um, especially as of the last even few weeks and months. So to give context to that statement, in red clocks, oh, by the way, this was written fairly recently. What is it like 2000? Is it 2017? 2018. 18, yeah. So this book is written in Trump's America to also give you context. I mean, who knows? It's very possible that she had this idea before the 2016 elections, but that just kind of sets you into being like, this is the political environmental, political environment that this book was birthed into. And also um, I was reading this, I guess, in 2000. I mean, 2019, and Marissa's reading it in 2021, um, in the same week that the Supreme Court is hearing cases that would eliminate a woman's right to abortion in certain states. So with all that in mind, in Red Clocks, it is a dystopia in which, in which Roe v. Wade, the right to abortion, has been eliminated, has been overturned. Abortion is now illegal in America. In vitro fertilization is banned. You can get in trouble, go to jail for life for having an abortion. You could get in trouble for having a miscarriage. Um, They have like in this society, they have given the personhood amendment, which grants basically all rights that you or I have to embryos. So I like the way that people describe what this book is about and I can, maybe they even say this in the book too but like this book is basically asking a question what is a woman for um and so it follows five different women um and basically the entire plot is kind of just how they navigate this world and this hand that they've been dealt So there is a high school teacher who's, I feel like kind of the main character, but all that being said, I feel like Zumas, I mean, you'll say more on this, I'm sure, or like maybe disagree, but like, I feel like Zumas balances the characters in this book very well. Like the five characters feel well balanced to me, which was another thing I really liked about the book was they all feel quite different um, and they all get their own amount of screen time I almost want to say but yeah there's um like a single high school teacher um who is trying to have a baby um there's this other character that we don't actually ever really get to meet but I feel like I know her so well which is a female polar explorer who's probably actually my favorite character even though I don't even know if we can really call her character I don't know maybe Marissa will answer that question um but one of my favorite passages in the books is about her and I like all the little tidbits we get about her throughout then there's a mother um there is um a young girl who finds herself pregnant and in trouble obviously with what to do and then there's super random but super like cool and weird and 
I love it. A woman who's just called the Mender, basically. She has a name too, but, and she's like a forest witch. She kind of, it's almost, maybe that's the other reason I like this book so much. That is like, it's kind of witchy. And it's brought to, all the women are brought together in this really weird way with the mender. And yeah, it's just about like being a woman and, but it's so weird. And the thing I really like about this book too, is that this Lenny Zumas' style of writing is so strange. Like you open the book and the pages don't even look right. And that's the kind of thing I like to see. I feel like a lot of the language is even stunted at times in a really cool way. She's just saying things that you would never even think to say, phrasing things you would never, in a way you would never think to phrase them. And that's always just what I'm looking for. And I think this is a really amazing feminist text for our day and age. Like, yes, there's still stuff that we can learn from and appreciate about books like The Handmaid's Tale, but like, this is really like, what a freaking feminist text to have and I cherish it so yeah that's why I made Marissa read it this book is so good and it very much is a feminist text um it very much is a political text so for readability I give this a nine this book is so easy to get through um short chapters organized by point of view there's something about the sentence structure and the way that the pages are organized that makes this book feel fast paced there's often like Liza said the the pages don't even look right um there's often like weird indentation or no indentation there's a lot of space on a page um often it is very quick, snappy dialogue, and not all chapters are written or read the same, and the story is also something that's just interesting enough to keep you reading. Um, I would rate this as a binge book for the right person. I don't think, like, our man sleepy readers would necessarily get everything out of it as a woman or uterus owning person would um so that's why I said for the right person for language and style I'd give this an eight like Liza said there's something so strange about the writing it's not only like beautiful but super strange there's one part in this book where 12 whales wash up on the beach and for some reason the description of like these gross whales was really captivating to me um obviously they're dead they smell there's one point where Someone goes to like cut one of the whales open. Obviously, there's a buildup of methane gas, so it explodes. I don't understand why people don't like don't be cutting dead things open unless that is your job to do or it is food. But if a dead whale washes up on the beach, don't be cutting it open. And for some reason, this explosion of like gross whale innards, I was like, hell yeah. Like, that's, like, beautiful, and and also, I know that we're, like, describing this book, and you guys are probably, like, what the hell does a bunch of dead whales have to do 
with women and their bodily rights. But Zoomist is a great way of like tying it all in together so that it all makes sense. And things are very reoccurring in this book. Um, And I think I'm going to talk about that in form. But wait, I'm not done with language and style. Um, So there's something very drifty or thought-like about this book. There's a mix of different languages in this book. I've also never experienced a book that talks about femininity or feminine issues the way that this book does. Um, Or talks about the feminine body or feminine health the way that this book does. And it does it right from, I think, the first chapter. And I was like, wow, I'm I'm hooked. Um, I believe the first chapter is the school teacher, the biographer at a gynecologist getting things looked at. And it like doesn't describe it, but it does. Um, It talks very technical about it. And I was like, yes, I'm very much into this. So for form, I'm going to give this a seven. The things that are happening in this book are not totally original, meaning like the weird things that are happening, but the fact that they're all happening together makes them something to note. The fact that you get chapters that are based on different point of views, that's not something original. But with those, there's like style changes and sometimes language changes. There's one point of view that's sort of more brisk, more spaced out like thoughts. The mender, her chapters are usually very spaced out. She doesn't seem to linger on topics for long. There are also chapters interjected between every chapter that are notes. And that was the polar explorer that Liza was talking about. So sometimes with these notes, there are like cross outs. Sometimes there's the same sentence multiple times, etc. Each character really has their own things in the point of view part, which makes sense. Why don't we do that like all the time when we switch point of views? Very weird that we don't. There's a lot of other things. The biographer has lots of lists in her chapters. She has other languages. The wife has usually her tasks are like quick listed. There are a couple characters who have kind of marine facts interjected between the them. Super interesting. There's a lot of moving parts here, which I appreciate. And I like how they all are tying together. So I gave form a seven. For shelfworthy slash read again, gave this a seven or an eight. I think this is something to buy and to continue to read. Like Liza said, she read this, I think she said in 2019. I'm reading it in 2021, almost 2022, and it's still relevant. This book was uh, published in 2018, still relevant. You know, like Liza said, I read this at a time when women's rights and issues are being brought up in court. Um, So it's obviously something that we need and we have to continue to talk about we have to continue to think about the consequences of the actions that we will make and i think that books are a good way to explore 
are a good way and always have been a good way to explore like, hey, what will happen if we do this thing? It, it, it's just it feels very feminine and it feels important and it feels like a book that you need to read and reflect on. For plot, I gave this a nine. I was so invested in this book. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, we're describing this book, or at least when I read the back of this book, I was like, okay, this is going to be, which I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, this is going to be big picture. I feel like you would think that it would be, you know, going straight to Washington um, or, exploring multiple women across the country because the stakes are so high but this book is strangely quiet and very low-key for what is happening she's explaining this to you not through the courts not through you know economics but through actual people's lives in one small kind of nothing of a town And it's interesting, like, this town is so small that all of our characters know each other or end up knowing each other somehow. And yet they all have to deal with different issues rooting from the same big issue, if that makes sense. It's really a beautiful kind of meditation and it shows all different sides of this. Like like we said, there's a young girl who gets pregnant who doesn't want to be pregnant. There's a teacher who is single and would very much like to have a baby, can't get pregnant, and her chances of adoption are not going so great. Um, there's a mother who had who has two kids who had to, you know, drop out of school to raise these kids. And, you know, she's happy with her life, but she's not happy with her life. Um, Obviously she loves her kids, but, you know, loving your kids isn't the whole story of being a mom. And there is this, the mender, who's the witch character, who is performing not only um, abortions, but like women's health procedures. And obviously they're all getting affected by these laws. The only one who's really not is the polar explorer who we only sort of see through the biographer's notes. Um, And the, the polar explorer sort of left her life of I'm pretty sure she had to take care of like six different kids I think they might have been her siblings to go and be this explorer and I guess what that means to be a woman and if like Liza said what makes a woman a woman like what if you can't have kids does that make you less of a a woman than someone who can or what if you do have kids and you're just like not happy with your husband you're not like totally happy with your life and you want some away time from your kids does that make you less of a woman or less of a mother so it's definitely like I said a meditation on kind of motherhood and womanhood and uterus owning for characterization I give this an eight 
I think we've said this before. I'm pretty sure I just said it a couple minutes ago, but we stand anti-heroes. And I'm not really saying like any of these women are necessarily anti-heroes, heroes, but also yes. Um, I want to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of characters. And yes, these women, these are women and they are real women who have their issues and they want babies and they don't want babies and they have issues with their bodies and they struggle with their kids and their husband and they sleep with men and women and in between and they care and they don't care and they can be great at times, but not great at others. Um, And that was a whole lot to say pretty much that that is how I want my characters to be many faceted. I want characters who don't feel good all of the time. You know, we love monster mothers in literature and we love heroic mothers in literature, but maybe there's not enough of the in-between of that mother who wants some time away from her kids and is sick of having to deal with them all the time. And, you know, maybe some alone time, some personal time, that should be some kind of right. (laughs) I don't know what I would do if I didn't have alone time. And I also love how this book kind of shows misogyny in women. You know, women aren't always going to be fully supportive of women all of the time. And they're not always going to be nice all the time and sometimes they're going to hate each other I don't know I liked these characters a lot um I think the mender was my favorite one because she's she lives out in the woods and she is removed from society but she's still affected by the things that are happening in society which I thought was a really good way to show how far stretching these amendments would go. Yeah, I think that's all I got to say about this book. Also, the cover is really, really cool. And if you are a person who decorates, not decorates, but organizes your bookshelf by color, this book is like the spine is a beautiful red purpley color that I think you might really appreciate. Yep. The cover looks like a vagina. Also, me and Liza definitely have talked about this before, but I'm so sick of A, not being taught anything about women's health. And anytime women have a problem, they're like, I don't know, go on birth control. Yeah. And like, how you do your damn job? I, I can't get over People are coming to realize, whoa, we do this to women for why? Like, why, why don't you have to be under anesthesia when they put in an IUD? Like, even like speculums seem like, ancient torture devices like y'all haven't f- figured out a, a softer instrument to insert into a person's vagina why is there not a class where they're like hey when you go to the gyno like this is kind of what it's going to be like i know nothing will prepare you for that moment no not a single thing she meowed into the mic do it again do meow it now again do it do, do it, it. Nothing but silence. Um, my favorite part of Red Clocks is I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's talking about how like when the explorer died and like the sea creatures would feed off of her 
corpse. Ah, I love that. And then they, like, the shark was eating off her, and then they yeah. killed the shark and ate the shark for Christmas dinner. Oh, it's so, mm, I love it. There's also, like, a line about, like, well, maybe she repeats this a few times, that's just, like, angry sea, like an angry sea, and that just feels so, like, I don't know, like, this book, like, I like that you were, like, I've never read a book that was so, like, feminine before, like, you said that to me, and, like, that's just so true. Mm-hmm there's just so many things in it that make you go yeah she also said something oh she had such a good line and I'm not I know I'm not gonna be able to find it because it was so small something about like whales being wombs in the ocean or something oceans are seen as feminine for some reason like they're like she-ified yes the yesification of oceans but also like oceans are like we know less about oceans than we know about space we know less about our own oceans than we know about space and like the fact that that's like a the largest like feminine entity on earth and nobody knows anything about it hey hey Oop. connections Oop. uh yeah that ocean that's right next to us let's not explore that let's yeah. shoot up into space marissa we have such good taste in books we really do oh also you're always talking about you're like oh i love reading like a book that my friend likes because you could tell and you could see them. I read this and I was like, Liza, like, I think I read this in your voice the whole entire time. Yes. And Liza read it to me. about horns. <laughs> Literally, if you guys just read. So our first, our second episode of the pod season one and our last episode of the pod season one, if you just read those four books in the next, however many weeks there are of 2021, you're fine. You're good. That's us. Yeah. That's us. After Dark, Imaginary Friend, Red Clocks, Horns. You're done. You're done. You're done. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you, Liza. And thank you to our listeners. To our listeners, to our live audience, Penelope. And I guess my hedgehog, Cannoli, who's always in his cage. I forgot about Cannoli. He's here. Um, Thanks to Joe Hill. Thanks to uh, Lenny Zumas. All the authors from this season. Yeah. Especially the ones who interacted with us. I was going to say thanks to all the authors who were like, hey, girlies, because we love you personally. Keep reading. Keep sleeping. Keep commenting on our post and let us know what you're reading while we are on this little recess yeah and if there's anything you want us to read next season let us know we love you guys love you bye for now Space, the next frontier. I hate it here.